Hey, Abby. Hey, Casey. Let's talk about the history of the word femme. We here at the Mindful Femme refer to ourselves as two strong, educated, and empowered women that reject the norms of society placed on us about what it means to be both feminine and a woman in our world today. Originally, when coming up with our podcast name and the word femme, we refer back to the French meaning of the word to literally mean young woman. However, the word femme in the United States has a deeply embedded history in the LGBTQ plus community. In honor of Pride Month, we're going to be paying homage to the word by talking more about its historical origin in today's episode. For those of you who don't know, June is Pride Month, so happy Pride. And we are very lucky to be witnessing history this year with a new Mm -hmm. court case um, that just passed through the Supreme Court. So I just want to give a summary of the court case and talk about how it's going to be actually affecting real change for the community Mm -hmm. versus just being kind of a a visual change for people to say that something's been passed, but it's not giving, you know, physical change. So the case was brought up from a few cases kind of combined of people that were filing in their own states based on discrimination in the workplace. Mm, okay. The One of the main ones that I've been reading a lot about was Amy Stevens, and she wrote her employer um, back in, I think, 2013, saying, when I come back from this vacation, I am going to be... A woman and I am looking for your support I'm looking for your encouragement Um, and a few weeks after that she got a letter from her employer saying that she was no longer allowed to be working at their establishment and she was offered severance but she was only allowed to take that severance if she basically would sign an NDA saying she wouldn't speak about why she was fired Wow Um, so She took her case all the way to the Supreme Court and along with a couple other cases combined, basically in the same ruling, uh, they were trying to pass a new law saying that basically that Title VII should be inclusive of transgender people as well and that there shouldn't be discrimination in the workplace based on solely on someone's um, sex and on someone's orientation. So the ruling was actually kind of surprising because right now the court is a majority conservative. There's five mm, more okay. wh- who are considered conservative um, judges, but mm-hmm. um, it was a 6-3 ruling. So six of the justices uh, ruled that the new law should be put into place. Um, okay. So that meant that two conservative justices... Um, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Roberts both said that they believed in that law. So that was kind of surprising. Um, And this also pairs with um, recent regulations that Trump has been trying to pass um, relating to trans rights. So he recently removed rights for transgender people from the Affordable Care Act. Um, That means that those people are going to have more difficulty getting coverage. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's also removed a lot of protections for gay couples. 
through the Department of Health and Human Services. Oh, which wow. I, I didn't know that. I think a lot of people have been posting about the, par- the portion of that um, passing that meant that it was more difficult for gay couples to adopt in the future. Okay. That's what people are referring to as this passing, um, some of those protections being lost through the Health and Human Services. Um, but it also includes things like being able to get access to HIV services right. and a lot of other programs that receive funding just through Health and Human Services mm-hmm. are now allowed to... What's happening, these protections that are being lost, is that any companies who's receiving this funding is allowed to reject providing services to gay people or transgender people based on religious freedoms. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's just a claim saying that I don't want to serve you because my religion is saying that that's not acceptable. Um, so because of the passing of the court case on Monday, it's right now it's it's under debate by legal experts because a lot of these things that were passed by Trump in the past couple weeks mm-hmm. are so recent. A lot of legal experts are saying that this new court ruling is going to invalidate the changes, especially in the Department of Health and Human Services. Okay. Um, saying that calling for religious freedom to deny someone their services is um, not going to be legal anymore based on the new ruling. But yeah, yeah. we're going to have to see. So yeah, this is and... supposed to be show it some real you know, physical change for people who can now claim and not have to be taking it to court for years um, if they're discriminated in their workplace. Yeah. It, it is shocking to me that this is still up for debate in 2020. But I think, you know, on the back of everything that we're seeing right now, everything that's going on um, within civil rights and human rights right now, it's not shocking, but I guess just, I guess not shocking, but just more devastating. Like it, I don't understand how we're still having a conversation about people's ability to just have rights, have equal rights. Um, And I know what's been so frustrating about this presidency is that Trump has undone so much of the work for equality in legislation. Like he's just rolled back so many efforts that were supposed to create rights and opportunities for minority groups. So it's just devastating. It is. And it's so just disgusting that all of these laws are also being passed during Pride Month. They're being passed when we're in a global pandemic and they're being passed when we're the country is, you know, gripped by the Black Lives Matter movement. People are on the streets every day Mm -hmm. protesting. People are trying to direct their focus to the movement that matters right now. And the fact that he's waiting till we're you know, putting our efforts somewhere else. And yeah. he's thinking, you know, we're distracted. Now's the time to pass Exactly, it. Abby. Yes, thank you for saying that. I think it's a distraction. It's all a distraction. It I is. feel like it's scary that every time, like you said, it seems like our attention is directed towards one concentrated issue. There's so much, like, shadiness going on in legislation and in the government when we're just, our efforts are elsewhere. So so well said. Shady. Our president is <laughs> shady. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I just thought we should touch on that because it's such a historic moment and I'm so happy for transgender people who are now going to be able to access the rights that they've been yeah. deserving and should have had, you know, their entire lives. Right, so exactly. That, yeah. And yeah, now that it's passed by, especially by the Supreme Court. So now the state, I mean, there's 20 something states that don't have 
protections for transgender people. So now that it's at a federal level, all states and businesses are going to have to follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, no, thank you for sharing that because I didn't know a lot about that. So I did a little bit of a deep dive, my favorite phrase on this podcast. (laughs) Um, I looked more into the word femme. So... For those of you who don't know the word femme in connection to the LGBTQ plus community, femme is considered both a noun and an adjective. And although it does have the literal meaning of young woman in French, like we mentioned earlier, in the 20th century, it actually became associated with queer folks and becoming the counterpart to the term butch. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with the term butch, uh, within the gay community, butch is supposed to be the counterpart to femme, referring to um, a woman who might be lesbian that takes on more masculine traits that are stereotypical to what our idea of heteronormativity is in our culture. So this counterpart to butch, femme, became embedded in the working class bar culture in the 40s and 50s. And then when the lesbian separatist movement fell out of popularity, it was then said to be an oppressive term that was, again, based on that, those ideas of heteronormativity of, and of heterosexual expectations of relationships. So a lot of people within this community began to think that, you know, in the LG, at the time, the LGBT community that was supposed to be spearheading the way for sexuality and a diverse gender and sexual spectrum, they just realized it didn't make sense any longer to subscribe to something that was a binary gender identity. Um, Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then with the rise of the queer liberation movement in the 80s and 90s, the term femme then became relevant again, and this happened along with the third wave of the feminist movement. Um, With the creation of a broader range of queer and trans identities, the term was then reevaluated. So today, the term, actually, before I get into that, I want to say, um, during this time, a lot of gay men in the community were actually not accepted for exemplifying this sort of femme ideal, these sort of feminine characteristics. So even to be a gay man was one thing, but then to not fit heteronormative masculinity as prescribed to us by culture, um, a lot of gay men that did not fit that were still cast out of the gay community. And so as we've seen this like broader range of creation of queer and trans identities, we began to think of the term femme in a new way, realizing that you can be gay and femme or trans and femme or bisexual and femme or what have you. So today the term is reclaimed by gay men who do empower themselves within their femininity. And the term femme nowadays can apply to people who don't specifically identify themselves from a gendered standpoint, but simply identify as feminine in nature. Yeah, so it's clearly gone through a, a few different waves. Mm-hmm. Of, and I think there's a lot of words that come from different cultures or different circles, and people want to give words that you know have so much value. Words should be given the respect that they deserve and be used yeah. in an appropriate way. Um, and clearly femme has meant many different things over its long history, um, especially within the queer community and within the trans community. And yeah, we just want to make sure that we're paying its respects and that we're, I guess, fully evaluating the use of its word 
throughout its lifetime. Exactly. And I think that these terms that are so deeply embedded in movements that are tied with civil rights and the fight for equality, it's important to shed light on them because these words tell their own story. Um, But I think in many movements where we see words take on a new meaning, these words are very, like, sacred to to culture and to history um, and to identity. So, yeah, to that point, I think it is very important to shed light on them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the intersection of Black Lives Matter and protesting and how it ties in with uh, Pride Month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So with the surge of a lot of protests throughout the country and the world and a lot of focus finally being put into the Black Lives Matter movement, also happening during Pride Month and during the Supreme Court decision that we just discussed, Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely been a move within the Black Lives Matter movement to also inform people about the important trailblazers within the pride community um, and the gay community and how things like Pride Month and the celebration of LGBTQ plus culture for a whole month may not have even come to exist without many important black and gay and trans activists from years ago. So I just thought we should go into some of that. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think you should give us a little bit of a background on Stonewall Uprising, because that was one of the main events that brought a lot of light to, to the injustices that were happening within that community. Yeah. Yeah, actually, so this was another historical event that I just feel extremely slighted by not learning in history or in my history classes growing up. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the Stonewall Uprising. Um, The Stonewall Uprising occurred on June 28th in the year 1969. This was when the rebellion began. So what occurred is that in New York City, police raided a gay club in Greenwich Village and roughly removed patrons and employees from the bar. And so this event sparked six days of protests and violent clashes between police and civilians outside of the bar. And this is the main event that sparked the gay rights movement, both in the U.S. and around the world. So the history behind all of this, because as we know, um, events like this don't just happen and then all of a sudden like a six-day riot occurs. There's always history behind it. Um, So let's talk about the history. Uh, Gay people at the time and same-sex relationships were illegal. So this was late 1960s into the 1970s. So many of the LGBT community, and I say LGBT because at the time it was just LGBT, but now is LGBTQ+, flocked to these gay bars as safe spaces to express solidarity. But the New York State Liquor Authority shut down establishments that it suspected were selling alcohol to members of the community. So at this time, it was illegal to sell alcohol to um, members of the LGBT community. What? So Yes. I know. Isn't that insane? I didn't even know that. So even if – so it's not even just like a marriage thing. No. Yeah, it was like these gay bars were not things. allowed to have liquor licenses to sell alcohol. Oh, that's, yeah. that's insane. Yes. And so, you, and so you can imagine what cropped up because of this were a ton of gay bars that were these places of solidarity for their community, but they lacked liquor licenses. Um, and so on the date of June 28th, police entered Stonewall, um, which was Stonewall Inn at the time, and found bootlegged liquor because they didn't have a license. So at this time in history, there was also something called a gender-appropriate clothing statute. 
So this meant that when officers stormed into Stonewall Inn and made the arrest of multiple citizens that they suspect were breaking this statute, um, and it's kind of self-explanatory, if you are, it just subscribes to the heteronormative idea. If you're a man, you're masculine, you wear men's clothing. If you're a woman, you're feminine, you wear female clothing. So people that were suspected of breaking this statute were taken into the bathroom and had their sex checked by female um, officers. So on the basis of the statute, it said that any woman that was wearing less than three pieces of feminine clothing could be arrested and vice versa for men. So onlookers and those who had been forcibly removed from the bar were then incited to act. So thousands of people at this point had crowded around the bar to barricade the police inside the bar. And although the fire department did come to release them, this incident incited five more days of protesting outside of Stonewall Inn. So although this incident did not start the gay rights movement, it really was a catalyst that got the, um, the movement going. So there were other events that led up to the gay rights movement, but this one, in contrast, definitely was the spark that started the fire. Um, and it paved the way for many organizations that sprung up in order to protect the lives of members of the LGBT community. Um, really quickly, I do want to talk about um, Marsha Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who are legendary in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, both of them were at the Stonewall Riots in 1969, and they were transgender drag queens and sex workers that, after the Stonewall Riots, went on to found Star House. And Star House was the first LGBT youth center in all of North America and the first trans women of color organization in the United States. Um, so although the organization did collapse in the 1970s, it was revived in New York um, a few years ago. Marsha Johnson um, also went by Marsha P. Johnson, and she would tell mm -hmm. people that the P stands for pay it no mind when people would ask her about her gender, oh, which I, I loved. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and she actually has an institute now in her name, which I'll talk about more in the resources section but mm -hmm. is run and is for black trans lives and um, basically for giving them more legal protection and okay. empowerment. Awesome. Um, and Sylvia Rivera had a more difficult journey, I think, after Stonewall. Okay. She fought really hard during a lot of the gay rights movement um, throughout the 70s and then actually kind of dropped off the entire movement oh, okay. for 10 or 15 years because she started getting persecuted by her own community oh, wow. for being trans. Basically, people saying, you know, we're here for gay rights, but not really for trans wow. rights. She gave a really famous speech about it saying, you know, I have been beaten down. I've been judged. I've been harassed. And you're not even you guys aren't listening to me. So she actually basically dropped out of the movement for a while wow. until the mid-90s when she came back into play um, and, again, continued to march and got to see a little bit more recognition for her her participation in that movement. Okay. I think people had 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 enough time between the Stonewall uprising and then to recognize her vitality in the movement. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she says that she was cheered when she was marching and all of that. So they both have had pretty unique journeys, yeah. um, but ha still have their marks, especially through Star and through um, Marsha P. Johnson's um, institution. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So as crucial as Stonewall was to the gay rights movement of the time, 
It wasn't until 2016 that President Obama designated Stonewall Inn and its surrounding areas as a national monument to gay rights. Because we love Obama. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so let's get into more recent events about um, the unfortunate lives that have recently been lost in the black and trans community. Yeah, let's talk about some of um, the recent deaths going on. So Nina Pop was um, stabbed in her own home in May in Missouri, and no arrests have been made. It's currently an ongoing investigation. Cops are considering the possibility that it may have been a hate crime. Um, And I think it's pretty clear that it that it probably is if it was in her own home. She was stabbed uh, many times. Right, um, right. So that case is still ongoing. Um, Tony McDade, more updates on his case have surfaced since our Black Lives Matter um, focused episode. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to share some about that. Okay. So we talked a little bit about how the police officers at the scene say that he had a bloody knife at the scene of the crime and also was brandishing a gun that he pointed at the officers. But since then, a multitude of witnesses have said, who were at the scene as well, Mm -hmm. have said that that was not the case. They did not see a knife and he did not have a gun. Okay. Um, There's also some background to the days before Tony McDade's death that I find pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, He had only been out of jail for a couple of weeks from other crimes, and he had been cornered and assaulted by a group of people just the day or two before um, his encounter with the police. And he, yeah, had been assaulted by a group of them. And the cops are using this against him because he had also posted a Facebook Live video saying, like, I'm going to get revenge on those people. Mm. So because of that, the cops are saying that, you know, he was violent or that he was motivated to be violent. And um, it's just unfortunate that he was also clearly in a, in a lot of trauma in the days before yeah. his encounter with the police. Yeah. Um, and I think that it happens all too often that when cases like this come up, it's never about the the primary life-ending event. It has to go into character and it has to go into backstory and what did they say or what did they do to almost insinuate that the victim deserved it. And yeah, I just, I think it's so unfortunate because in in so many other cases, you know, when people, people deserve a right to a fair trial and in so many of these cases, if they're a person of color, or if they're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, there's so much working in their favor that is an attack on their character or a justification for why things happen to them. Exactly. And, you know, the reality is of these police brutality cases, it doesn't matter what happened before. It's all in the moment that that brutality is occurring. And, of course, when the case is maybe taken to court, the investigators and the department can just dig up any past that would shed that person in a bad light, where the reality is it's just the moment that that brutality is occurring. That is really what matters. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, it's interesting that the city of Tallahassee is having um, an association, the um, Police Benevolent Association. Oh, yeah. Uh, filing a motion against them to try and release the name of the police officers involved in the incident because in Florida, as we talked about, Marcy's Law protects police officers' anonymity in Florida. So there's an association that's trying to, yeah, I guess revoke that law, especially for this case um, of Tony McDade. Yeah. And that needs to happen because I understand the idea behind it being that if someone's in their line of work and things like this happen, then they have a right to protection but again, like we talked about in our our first episode, it's just this blatant disregards for truth and facts and what's going on in the situation and its misuse of power and misuse of position. And if that's what's occurring, I'm sorry, these people do not need to be protected. Right. And it's not just the idea that they, they need to be protected from dangerous people who will come after them if their name is it's also they need to be willing to stand up and own responsibility as an individual not hide behind yeah an organization our department right yeah they need to own up and be able to speak publicly on behalf of their actions in a court of law and to the public who is watching yeah yeah i agree and yeah and i want to clarify i don't wish any ill will to anybody when these events happen I'm not saying like oh go attack them but but like you said yeah these these individuals need to be in the public eye just as much as the families that have lost their loved ones or just as much as people who are being wrongfully arrested we have no problem splashing pictures up of who we think are criminals on the television for everybody to see and so I think we need to apply an equal standard in the in these situations yeah I agree but let's talk about let's talk about the deaths of Rhea Milton and Dominique Fells. So these were two members of the LGBTQ plus community that were killed last week, and these were both trans women of color. So Milton was killed during an armed robbery on June 9th in Ohio. And what happened in this scenario is that three people lured her to a park to rob her um, and steal her car. And all but one of the robbers have been arrested and one is still on the run at this time. Dominique Fells, um, on the other hand, was found dead in Pennsylvania on June 8th, and the police have since ruled her case a homicide. And so I feel like every loss to any community is just as heart-wrenching and just as emotional. And it's unfortunately all too common that we see deaths of black transgender women um, in this manner. And black transgender women are the group that are most likely to be affected by fatal violence um, simply because they are placed at the intersection of inequality. They face discrimination when it comes to employment, when it comes to housing, police brutality, and even healthcare. And 34% of black trans women live in extreme poverty. And now that's 34% as compared to their, the 9% of non-trans black people. And so one-third of black trans people report harassment when interacting with the police. And so at the center of all of these things, it's just the perfect storm for cases like this where we hear that a member of this community has been murdered or is under investigation or is 
just like violent deaths, these this manner of dying in the black transgender community by violence is all too common. Um, and I know when, you know, doing research and learning more content or learning, getting more information for this episode, I was shocked to hear all of these statistics because I know you hear a lot in the LGBTQ community that black transgender women are at a higher risk um, than most other groups in within the spectrum. And I never knew why. And looking at it, I just, yeah, it's just another one of those things that's just like really, really heart-wrenching to me. Yeah, it's shocking. And I just want to highlight the statistic you said that 34% of black trans women live in extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not all poverty. That's not just saying someone's impoverished. Extreme poverty yeah. is means that these people are likely homeless mm-hmm. or moving from place to place. Um, and that is, I, I guess, a demographic of the United States where one-third of that demographic is is likely homeless or yeah. finding it near impossible to get a job just being themselves. I find that shocking. Yeah. That statistic is, you know, not brought to light more, yeah. not highlighted more. Because that's one-third, one in three people that are transgender. Yeah. Yeah, and even, even looking at the other statistic of the one-third of black trans people that report harassment when interacting with the police. That is a crazy high number. So I I can't even imagine you're standing in a line of three people and you are one of the possible three that could have a fatal interaction with the police or experience assault when interacting with police or harassment. It's just, yeah, I I wonder, like, I'm like, yeah, why don't we talk about this more? I know. It's it's so upsetting and I think... It's another, I think, call to action for anyone listening to just, I mean, just like we talked about in our Justice for Black Lives episode, Mm -hmm. it's a call for you to educate yourself more and to open your eyes to things that you haven't noticed before. And now that you notice them, take time to, to learn even more about the history and about how it's still taking place every day. Yeah. Um, the injustices towards especially the transgender community and we've also yeah compiled a list of resources for you to educate yourself and also to donate Um, (laughs) gotta gotta plug the resources so let's get into some resources that we've compiled these are a few things that I've used throughout compiling some of the information for this episode but also things that I just enjoy listening to Mm -hmm. Um, first off a podcast episode I would really recommend listening to is an episode from The Daily, which is uh, Monday through Friday, most of the time, um, 20 to 30 minute podcast episode that comes out from The New York Times. Okay. And this one is from this week on June 16th, and it's all about the Supreme Court ruling that we talked about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And The Daily episode is called A Landmark Supreme Court Ruling. So I'd highly recommend that. And this Instagram account to follow, I, I know that you used some of um, Monroe Bergdorf's information to help compile some of the uh, information for this episode, too, mm-hmm. right? Yes, I did. So I love Monroe's account, um, and it's got a lot of, I think, informational stuff being posted recently as well. 
so okay yeah um so actually yeah abby so for all of the information that I used about the history of the word femme, I found this really great online resource called them.us. Them.us is an informational platform that's set up like a lifestyle website where people can go and watch videos and read articles that educate about the LGBTQ plus community. And so it's set up kind of like BuzzFeed or like bustle.com would be. And you can also sign up for their newsletter. Um, and so, yeah, so the video that I watched on, um, the history of the word femme was actually by Monroe Bergdorf. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Monroe Bergdorf, she is an English model and activist, and she was the first transgender model in the UK when she did her campaign for L'Oreal. So I really enjoyed the video. Um, she's super cute and yeah, I recommend going to watch it if you want a refresher on any of the history of femme that we talked about in this episode. Nice. Um, there's also a site that is kind of, I think, similar to them.us, but it's not, I don't know. I don't like it as much as them.us because mm-hmm. I was looking at that site more when I saw that you had written it out. Yeah. I don't like this website as much, but out.com oh, okay. is also pretty good at posting any, I think, news-related articles, but also a lot of lifestyle articles. Okay. Um, so I recommend that as well. Nice. Um, and then I found this really cool, all right, the truth is, I found this one, um, I found it on, uh, TikTok. Oh, okay. So, this, this next one, not out.com, so this next resource I found from TikTok, and this girl was saying, basically, hey, like, can you guys promote this website that I've been working on? Um, it was mostly to promote Black Lives Matter resources. Okay. But it also now has an entire section for Pride and also for Black trans lives. Oh, amazing! Um, so it's it's called pb-resources.com. Okay. And you'll see all the links on the page in the top left corner. There's a bunch of ways to navigate through all the different resources she's compiled, places you can donate to, Instagrams you could follow, Twitter accounts you could follow. Um, videos to watch, movies to watch, articles to read, everything. So it's got a ton of stuff. Awesome. Um, And some organizations. So the first one that I want to talk about is the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund. Um, So this is an organization and donation center that publicly educates and provides legal resources um, about ending gender-based discrimination, and their website has great resources and articles about topics like knowing your rights as a trans person, um, some specifically about knowing your rights as a trans person during COVID-19 when seeking health care and medical care, and um, more information about legislation that impacts the transgender community. So I thought this was a really cool platform because it's just kind of like information, donation, um, everything kind of in one location. And, yeah, the last one that I wanted to highlight, one other place you can donate to and, I guess, use is the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Marsha! So, like we were talking about earlier, this was an institute that was created in honor of Marsha P. Johnson, and, yeah, its goal is to eradicate a lot of violence around black trans lives, Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, so they've created this community that's supposed to, uh, they say, elevate, support, and nourish the voices of black trans people. I love that. Um, I love nourish. So, yeah. Yeah, good word. Yeah. 
So in this episode, we talked about the most recent Supreme Court ruling that was about the discrimination of trans and gay people in the workplace. We talked about the history of the word femme. We discussed the intersection of Black Lives Matter protests and the protection of black gay people. We gave a little history about the Stonewall Uprising, and we talked about and acknowledged the recent black trans lives lost. We also shared some resources with you guys that we encourage you to go take a look at. And we'd like to end this episode by just saying happy Pride Month to everyone. Yes, absolutely. Happy Pride. Um, and also happy Juneteenth. It's coming Yes, up happy Juneteenth as well. All right. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we do have a favor to ask. I think Casey would agree. <laughs> if, we, if you listen to this episode and you like it, we encourage you to share it on whatever oh, yes. social media platform you use. Just, you know, share a little pic of you listening to it or telling your friends how great we are. <laughs> no, I love that. No, friends, yeah, tell, tell them how great we what are. what you learned from the episode. <laughs> you can also tell them how great we are. We'll accept that yes. too. Yes, and also follow us on Instagram at the Mindful Femme. Yes, absolutely. That's where we post about upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. <laughs>